Now, in light of this news, I felt that actually, do you know what? I wanted to take a moment to almost pastorally both speak into this moment, but also to speak into a wider subject, which is really around how do we deal with the difficult things in life? How do we deal with something like this? And the, the Apostle Paul, in his teaching in Romans 12, as he, as he really talks about what, what is church? What should a church look like? What's it meant to be? He tells us that we, the church, are to be a body. That's the image that he gives, interconnected, interjoined with one another. And with this in mind, he then tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. To join with each other in moments of grief and difficulty. And so today we mourn together and we stand together as a family. Now, as I've been, me and Alice and Matt, Matt and Alice, pre Alice preached this morning, Matt preached in the West, I preached in the North, we've all based it around the talk um, in Luke 24. And so the, I think there's a beautiful passage called The Walk to Emmaus, and I just want to bring out some stuff from that. It's in um, Luke 24. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to just grab them. Because it's at moments like this, it's like, where do we go? We go to the Scriptures. We go, it's like, Lord, speak into this situation. So I'm just going to read the passage, which is beautiful in and itself. And then I'm just going to try and bring out some things that I think the Lord would say to us as a community as we go through difficult moments. How do we deal with that? So it says this, verse, uh, Luke 24, verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, what, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they'd seen angels, angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough his body was gone just as the woman had said. And Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us. Since it's getting late, so he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it, and he gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who'd gathered with them, and who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. So just... just jump back a bit and give you a tiny bit of context to this. 
This was a few days after Jesus had died on the cross. We're told it was the same day that some of the women had gone to the tomb and they'd found it empty. And the women had reported that his body was missing and that they had seen some angels who told them that Jesus was alive, but the, but the men don't believe them. They're like, guys, what's going on? This is just not true. They thought that maybe because they were confused and disorientated with grief, that they didn't really know what was going on. And so this moment that we see here is an in-between moment for these two disciples walking to Emmaus who've not yet seen the resurrection, who don't know the ending to the story. They are right in the middle of it, in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And the truth is that in many ways, we are still in between times. Jesus' resurrection has happened, of course, but the future resurrection that awaits all of us The moment when heaven comes fully to earth, when all things are put right, is not yet here. And so I don't know about you, but this kingdom prayer that we've been given in the scriptures that we pray over and over again, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer, isn't it? It's a bit like, Lord, we need the kingdom to break out. We need to see it. In the vineyard, we call this the now and not yet of the kingdom. And what we mean by this is that in these in-between times of the now and the not yet, we sometimes see the kingdom of God break in. And you'll be in these services and you'll feel the presence of God and you'll feel the power of God. Somebody will get healed or there'll be a salvation moment. And we share those stories as a church. We love those moments of the kingdom breaking in. We're like, yes, we need more of that. But there's also the other side of the kingdom as well. When we experience the not yet of the kingdom. And the truth is that the not yet of the kingdom is often frustrating. Sometimes it's disappointing. And other times it's deeply despairing as we find ourselves experiencing the agony of grief, suffering, and pain. This is the place that the disciples find themselves in that day. They are in the swirl of grief, walking along, talking about what's happened trying to make some sense of it. But any of us who've been in the midst of grief will know that it's fair to say that as they walk along, they are probably talking around in circles. Do you know what I mean? You know when you have those kind of chats, you're like, I really don't understand this. This is so much. What are we going to do with this? Not really getting anywhere. And when suffering breaks into your life, my life, our lives, it can be deeply disorientating and debilitating, can't it? We're traveling along life's journey when suddenly something comes in from the side. I don't know about you, but some of you will be planners and you're like, I've got this plan for my life and it's going to look like this and and you've planned it. And then something comes in that you're just not expecting. It's not on the radar. And you're like, how do I deal with that? What am I going to do with this? The plans that we have sometimes are just upended. And when Jesus joins them and asks them what's going on, they don't know that it's him. And they're told, verse 17, that it says this, they stop short, sadness written across their faces. They are in a place of deep grief. Right here, the disciples, they're like, we don't know what's going on. They tell Jesus who they think is a stranger about all that's gone on. And in verse 21, they say, we had hoped he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. That little phrase, we had hoped. We had hoped. All of their hopes and their dreams, all that they've been waiting for seemed to have disappeared. And life felt so very, very different in that moment. And those three words can sum up so much of what we can feel in these moments, can't they? We had hoped 
Jesus, we had hoped that this would happen. We're so overcome. This might be the place that you're in today. Maybe you feel like you're on the road to Emmaus, disorientated and grieving. Maybe because of the sad news in our church family. I know that I've had multiple conversations with people today, or even in the last two days since Friday, who are like, what do we do with this? I knew these people. How's this going to work out? Maybe there's a different difficult situation that you find yourself in today. Or maybe you're in a different place completely. You're full of joy. Do you know what I mean? That life is going really well, that you've had some amazing news. It's been an incredible week for you. And that's brilliant. We can rejoice with you at the same time as grieving with each other. Rejoicing and grieving are not mutually exclusive. It's one of the things that I learned as a pastor during the pandemic. As I was pastoring a, a church, many of whom, uh, myself included, were slightly bewildered by the whole situation that couldn't meet. Many felt isolated in that moment. It's like, well, how do we, like, there's this grief in people. But at the same time, you know, it's like you have these moments of deep grief and then suddenly something incredible happens. You've got celebration and grief. We often think that we can only have one emotion at a time. I know that in the last two days, you know, I've celebrated... So, you know, you know, moments with people even in the last two days where I'm like, that's amazing for your life. I'm so happy for you. But then at the same time, you've got this in the background. The complexity of life and faith is that we're often standing in more than one emotion. My mum, who's a bit of a Jedi of the faith, do you know what I mean? I think she's, she's actually Yoda. Um, but she's incredible. And they are a part of our community there in the West. I was talking with them last night, actually, there in the West Side. And sometimes when we're younger, we, we, we think that life's kind of quite simple, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And then we go in and life, and she's like, sometimes life just gets a bit more gray, James. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, but she absolutely loves Jesus. The thing I love about her and my dad is that they're in their 70s. They love the Lord, but life is difficult. They have walked through in this church some of the most difficult moments with people in this church. You know, when there's a deeply difficult moment, I'm like, mum and dad, please, could you be in the middle of this? Do you know what I mean? It's like those kind of people. The reality is that all of us will find ourselves on that road to Emmaus at some point. Psalm 23 verse 4 says this, even when I walk through the darkest valley, Psalm 23, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That was one of the scriptures that I wanted to teach my children, actually, that whole psalm, because I think it's so deeply beautiful. So sometimes we just talk that psalm through, because I'm like, there is so much in this psalm. <laughs> even though I walk through the darkest valley, notice the when, not if. We all journey down the road to Emmaus at some point in our life. And it's when, not if. And in some ways, it feels like our whole world collectively is on that path right now, doesn't it? The horrors of the situation in Israel and Gaza. You know, the last couple of weeks, just seeing what's going on. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I, I, I can't comprehend what's happening. It's so difficult. It's so complex. These are images that we will have seen. We continue to see some, so much bloodshed and suffering in Ukraine. Over 100,000 people have been displaced and are suffering greatly in Armenia, whilst there's been an awful huge earthquake in Afghanistan that's impacted huge amounts of people already living under great duress. I could go on, 
there is a lot of stuff going on. And collectively and personally, there are times when we find ourselves on that road, when, not if. And so there's a couple of things that I just want to draw out, things that might bring some comfort for when we do walk down the road. And you might not be in this place right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I really hope that you aren't, actually. I hope that you're in that place where you're like, life is good. I'm seeing the blessing of the Lord. I feel his presence. It's beautiful. But you will, if you are a Christian in the long term, walk with people that are in grief and suffering. You will experience it yourself. And therefore, there are some things that we learn in these times about Jesus and our faith and who God is. And this is not me giving trite explanations for why we find ourselves on that road. There is so much mystery to this, and we have to be careful to avoid oversimplistic explanations for suffering and pain, knowing that however well-meaning these explanations might be, they can be deeply unhelpful or hurtful to those traveling on the road. When someone is in the midst of deep, deep pain, sometimes we just have to sit and listen. Sometimes we just have to be present. We pray for them, we sit by them, we listen. So no deep explanations from me, but a few observations from the passage. I want to start by saying, notice that Jesus comes alongside them on this walk to Emmaus. He joins them on the road. He meets them in the place of their pain. They might not, they don't realize it's him at first, but he's there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And likewise, he walks with us when we find ourselves on the road to Emmaus, he is the one who comes alongside, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, who became like us and who fully understands us. He walks with us. And we don't always recognize it's him when our eyes are clouded with grief. When we are in deep pain, sometimes it's like, God, where are you? And in my own life, I've looked back with hindsight and been like, God, you were there. You were there. You were there. You were there in that person. You were there in that prayer. You were there in that moment. But sometimes, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they can't see that it's Jesus. They're like, they don't realize he's walking alongside them. There is a tendency when we are in pain to want to shut down. What I've noticed from people is that deep pain occurs. What do you do? You isolate. You push people away. You do that. That's the first thing. And then suddenly it's like, God, actually, I'm going to push you away. I'm going to push everything away from me. God, how can you understand? God, how can this happen? I love the scripture of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 5. And there is so rich. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, like, just stop on that. The father of compassion, that is who he is. That is in his nature. So when I say that Jesus walks alongside us, that's what he does. He's there. He's there in the midst of every situation that you will find yourself in. And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you notice how it says in there, so that we can comfort other people as well? So again, this is not just for us. Throughout this whole talk, I want you to be thinking two lenses, ourselves and what God is asking us to be for other people as well. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We are never alone. We might not see him clearly, but he is always there. We might not understand, but he does. Jesus has suffered being betrayed, broken, beaten, 
God understands pain. So Jesus joins us in the journey and he walks with us. Secondly, notice that Jesus invites them to talk to him about what's going on. He invites them to pour out their hearts. He just walks with them and he listens to them. Talk to me, he says. There's such an invitation in scripture to be honest with God. The Old Testament Psalms are full of lament, of complaint to God. In fact, there are more Psalms of lament than there are any other Psalms. And they are raw and gritty and uncomfortable reading at times. People shaking their fists at God, banging on the door of heaven saying, I'd hope for more. Psalm 13, I was drawn to today just as I was thinking about this. I mean, listen listen to the words, the outpouring of this psalm. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? David speaking, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And then suddenly what happens in every lament is there's a switch moment. Bang. But, (laughs) I might feel like this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. You will see that pattern throughout a lament. God is not scared of our emotion. He already knows. I have this crazy thing that sometimes goes on. It's like, oh, God, uh, he already knows. And what happens sometimes when we shut down is that we don't give the Lord the full extent of who we are. We don't present ourselves into the presence. That is why worship is so beautiful. What happens in worship is you can come in worship in a place of deep brokenness, not knowing the answers to the questions of life. God, how's this going to work out? What am I going to do about that? And you stand there and you like you bring those things for the first 10, 15 minutes. Like, Lord, I'm stressed about this and I've got this going on. And then suddenly what happens is the presence of God begins to infiltrate your heart and your soul. And you start going for he is good and his love endures forever. Do you know what I mean? There's a switch. There's a surrender moment that occurs in worship as we give it away. I love this Spurgeon. Um, He says this about lament and the Psalms. He says, whenever you look into David's Psalms that we see in the Bible, you may somewhere or another see yourselves. You never get into a corner, but you find David in that corner. I think that I was never so low that I could not find that David was lower. So really what it's saying is however bad my life, David seemed to be worse. David was lower than me. And I never climbed so high that I could not find that David was up above me, ready to sing his song upon his stringed instrument, even as I could sing mine. The both sides of that, isn't it? Like the realness of David before the Lord. This might be shocking, but this invitation here in Scripture to pour out our hearts, no holding back, is deeply freeing. When I sit down with people and they're like, I've got all of this stuff, it's like, have you brought it before the Lord? Have you brought it into his presence? Have you spoken to him about it? No, I'm holding it. You've got to let it out. You've got to go. And do you know what? Somebody can tell me and I'm like, that's fine that you're telling me. It's good that you're telling me, but you need to tell him. Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the throne room. Bring it to his feet. Surrender it to the cross. And in that moment, we're like, yes, Jesus, that you know. You know all things. You are the Lord. The truth is the Bible is more honest about the reality of suffering than the church often is. But we hope you find that this church family is a place where you can be honest and real with each other and before God. 
So Jesus says to these disciples in that moment, tell me what's going on. I can take your honesty. I can take your pain, your questions. Tell me. And as he listens, he listens not just as an objective observer, but as a fellow traveler. Jesus comes alongside us as one that understands suffering, as someone who's walked down the road of suffering, not to a village called Emmaus, some seven miles from Jerusalem, but to a hill called Calvary. Where he died for us, where he suffered for us to overcome all darkness and suffering and pain in order to secure our, secure our future resurrection where the road to Emmaus is no more. Sometimes when we beat our fists and we're like, Lord, you don't understand. In that moment, he's like, I went to the cross. I was betrayed. I was beaten. I was rejected. I understand Jesus stops and he points the disciples back to himself. I don't think we should read verse 25 as him telling them off for not understanding, but more as a nudge to pull them out of their stupor and point them back to him. He says in verse 26, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his glory? He suffered all of these things. He is our fellow traveler on the road marked with suffering. And then finally, notice that moment when he breaks bread with them. This is what I would, it's like the aha, it's the revelation moment. They've been walking, do you know what I mean? They're walking, and Jesus is like, tell me about what's going on, and he listens to them. And then it switches in this verse 30. It says this, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it, and he gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. This is a reminder to these disciples of the Passover meal that they had shared with him. This meal was only a few days ago, but after all that's happened, it must have felt like a lifetime, and grief has a way of slowing down time, doesn't it? Jesus had broken bread with them in Jerusalem that fateful night, hours before his arrest. He shared bread and wine with them and explained that this was a symbolic of the new covenant that God was going to make with his people that Jesus' body would break for them on the cross, his blood would be shed for them, and that this would reconcile God to his people. So this moment in Emmaus is the moment when they finally understand that this is the risen Jesus in front of them. It's like, oh, Jesus, it's you. He's alive. This is this promise in Scripture that says this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. So I started by just talking about the in-between times, the now and not yet. It's like there is beautiful things of the kingdom. We pray the kingdom prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. But there is also moments in life that are deeply difficult as well. Jesus is present in all of it. He walks beside us on the Emmaus road. He asks us, he listens to us, and then he shares a meal with us. And we suddenly have that moment. And that was a bit like when I was talking about in worship, when we hit that moment from crying out to revelation. Oh, it's you, God. I can see you. I know that you're here, and I know that you're with me. So as I finish, this for our community will be a time the next couple of weeks, personally, will be a time when we mourn. We mourn for the devastating tragedy that has unfurled in front of us. 
But again, I come back to that. They love Jesus. They knew him. It's beautiful. And that we journey with the family in the midst of the questions. That we surround them as family. And we go with them on that journey. And that we remember that God is good and that we come into worship. And we're like, you are good. And your love endures forever. Unfailing love. All of these things. It's like, Lord, I will praise you. Lord, would you be with us in the midst of this? And so as we come to finish, we wanted to share communion in light of this. Communion is a moment also of revelation where we share and we remember. You know, it's like, remember me. What do we do in communion? Communion, it's like we break the bread, we drink the wine or the grape juice as it is, and we say, we remember who you are. We remember what you've done on that cross. We remember that you suffered for us, that you gave it all for us. And so we're going to do that. So... If you don't mind standing, I'm just going to, um, if the people serving communion would like to come to the front. On my left is going to be a gluten-free station. On my right is just normal. It's normal and gluten, just so you know. I know some of you are gluten-free. And we take a moment to share the bread and the wine and remember that Jesus is awesome. Just going to give the guys a couple of seconds to get in place. In 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about this, the Lord's Supper, and it says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Lord, we offer ourselves before you right now. Lord, I pray for people in deep pain that they might see you this evening, that they would know the closeness of the Lord, that they would know your presence with them. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a people to walk life with. And we honor you right now. And we remember that one day you're going to come again. One day you're going to come again and we wait in expectation that you will come. That the old will pass away and that the new will come. And Lord, we just remember that right now. We give you this time in Jesus' name. So in your own time, just make your way down. Grab a piece of bread. Grab a cup of grape juice, take it back to your seat and the guys will just lead us in worship as we just reflect and bring ourselves before the Lord.